Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Coaches Road podcast. Or should I say, welcome to another outstanding episode? <laughs> I think that that puts it very that put it very well. Um, today we are joined by Tobias Johansson. For those of you who do not do not know who he is, uh, Tobias is the under 20 coach in Holunda, Gaffenberg. And if some of you do not know, we have recorded with Mikael Sturm, with the general manager of um, the Gaffenberg Youth Academy, an episode about the Holunda pathway. So if you do not have listened to that yet, maybe it's beneficial to listen to that and then afterwards to the episode with Tobias. But of course, you can decide however however you want. So first of all, as I already said, outstanding conversation with Tobias Johansson. I was very excited to talk to him today. I think I was never as nervous as I have been before recording. It just an overall outstanding episode, unreal, and so many so many things to consider. And they're doing so many things in an appropriate setting. And at the same time, they're so willing to learn and they're so willing to share and they're so open-minded and they really emphasize growth in every player every day and I think that's like the key piece for them but at the same time they are so demanding but so demanding in a warm way with their program and they always highlight that like in Frolunda you maybe if you play in under 20s that you might not get so much ice time during the weekend but you get really really good quality coaching during the week and what is more important Monday to Friday or Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, it's a fantastic episode, Rick. And, and I was I was also really excited to talk to Tobias today. And you know, it just shows how much this this club, this Belinda club, is is kind of ahead. You know, they're they're kind of um they're they're on another level of thinking almost. And it it really it really is eye opening to get a brief look into their process and then hopefully we get to explore it some more in the future. But you know they I think the one thing that that keeps them ahead is their constant want to be learning and to be advancing and to be kind of pushing the boundaries of what they do as a coach, uh, coaching staff and, and coaches individually. So it's a really interesting episode. And, and like our other episode that dropped today, a lot to unpack. And then I can't wait to talk about some of it in the outro. But for now, let's uh, kick it over to, to Tobias and let's get the conversation started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Coaches Road podcast. Today, we are joined by Tobias Johansson. First of all, Tobias, thanks a lot for taking the time and joining our show. How are you doing and how is everything going in Gothenburg? Uh, first of all, thank you for having me. Gothenburg is, is as always, raining, uh, but, you know, we, we are allowed to be practicing right now with our players. So, so that's all good and, and, and we are happy for that. Yeah, so we wanted to uh, get you on as the, the head coach of the U20 team there in Belinda and also the director of the Player Development Academy. Can you describe a little bit about your background and how you got into those roles? And then also um, what, what kind of are your roles within that Player Development Academy? Uh, yeah, uh, uh, as everyone, I suppose, started out with a playing career. I found out in my early 20s that I'm not going to make it as a, as a hockey player in the, in the big world. 
Um, actually started to referee for a few years, but and no disrespect to all the referees out there, but you don't win anything as a referee. And I want to win. Uh, so that kind of led me to coaching. And in my early career, I was, you know, I, I want to use the, the word old school coach, you know, um, vocal, yelling, putting pressure on my players, uh, always about the structure, the team. Uh, then for some reason, uh, moving forward a few years, I got the opportunity to start working for Alunda nine years ago. And those nine years up till now, it kind of, you know, changed the way how I look at myself as a coach, how I want to lead, how I want to coach, how I want to practice my team. Uh, first of all, being with Alunda opens a lot of doors. You know, I, I think I have contributed to the, to our organization for the last nine years. But, you know, when I arrived here, it, it was already a great organization with, a, with an awesome resume of, of, of getting players drafted, good junior program, and some national championship titles for the pro team. But so first of all, I, you know, I got my education as a coach here in Frölunda at the same time and opened a lot of doors. I've, I've been able to do, all, you know, all the coaching uh, clinics here in Sweden. Uh, I, I I was at the level five three years ago with USA Hockey. Uh, I've been able to. It, it's so easy when you're in Frölunda to connect with coaches all over the world. Uh, and I think that the, the the thing for me is, you know, I I try to steal as much as possible and and make it my own. Uh, so. Uh, the path here in Frölunda for me has been, I started out with the youth program. Uh, I, I was four years with the youth 16. And then for the last four years, I'm being director of player development for the academy. And I've been coaching two years at, at the U18 level and, the, and two years at the U20 level. Uh, and, the, and the biggest thing that, you know, for me as a coach is that I still want to win as it was 15 years ago when I, I, I made a, the change from being a referee to a coach. But the way I want to win today is, you know, I want to be the best on developing every player to their fullest potential. And that's going to make my team the best nine months later going into the playoffs. So I think that, you know, the way I look at it, it's, it, I'm a different coach today. It's all about player development, develop the individual. And, you know, you can have one system, but the system will not get better until the players within the system develop and get gets better. So, um, yeah, so, so I'm, I, I'm really fortunate to be in, been, been able to be part of this organization for the last nine years. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's been, it's been, a, it's been a cool journey. Yeah, I can definitely say that, <laughs> Growing up in Europe and in Germany for me, like, and playing hockey and like you all the time here about Forlunda and like the unique pathway they provide for its players. And then we had the blessed opportunity to interview Mikael Ström, your general manager. That was also very fun. And we talked a little bit about the program overall and what, what it makes so unique. And um, 
But you just said that you got involved in Frolunda 2011, so you have been there now for nine years. So how did you get involved in the program and what have been your biggest takeaways from it so far? Well, I, I lived in Gothenburg uh, when, I, when I started coaching as, as, and I coach at the junior level in, in, in smaller programs here in Gothenburg. And, you know, Gothenburg is a big city, but being in, in the hockey world, it's a small city. You know, it's uh, so if you're a coach in the larger Gothenburg area, you, you, you kind of if you want to get in contact with Frona, it's kind of easy to to do it. Uh, and now being working with Furlong, we appreciate coaches reaching out to us, you know, wanting to learn, wanted, wanted to come here and, and watch how we practice and stuff like that. So uh, I spent a few years coaching at the lower junior level here in, in, in Gothenburg and, of course, build a relationship with Mikkel Ström, as you mentioned. Uh, and when it when it opened up an opportunity, they, they, they wanted uh, – an instructor for, for the youth program, I got the question and uh, it was an easy just to jump on. I, at the time, I I was kind of thinking, I'm not a coach that want to focus on youth. I'm more of a junior pro level coach. But for me at the time, you know, having the mindset of wanting to learn more, I just wanted to get in, you know, I wanted to get into the big club. And again, you know, steal as many ideas as possible. Uh, so uh, that that's my way in. I, I think you need to be. I, I think networking. It, it, it's hard to describe, and I, it, everyone says it. It's it's not what you know; it's who you know. And to be honest, that that's that's the truth. But at the same time. I think there are too many coaches just sitting and waiting for someone to reach out to you. Uh, I, I've always get an answer if I reach out to different coaches, coaches at higher level at me, if I want to learn, if I want to uh, set up a Zoom call. Uh, I try to be as good on my part if it's, if it's coaches reaching out to want to learn from us here. Uh, so I, I think that's the one of the biggest takeouts for me. You know, it, if you want to be a successful coach, of course you you, you need the men, mindset of you know it's always growth, always learning. But how do you going to learn? You know, it's it's about meeting people, meeting different coaches from different different clubs from different sports. Uh, I, I see it as you know I want to look at myself as you know weird coaches in Frölunda should have would be pretty much as you know a professor at a, at a university you know a professor at a university spend 50 percent of his time teaching students that's what i do i, I coach kids but the other 50 percent, you need to do research the best professors needs to be they need to know what's going on then they, they, you want to be first through the wall you want to be the the arrow you know and so so that's another thing I've learned here. You know, it's it's 50%. You coach the kids we have in, in, in the program, but you need to be on your toes. Uh, if you, you know, if you want to stand still, you have to run very fast. You know, you, you, you need to be active as a coach, having a mindset of, I need to learn. We always talk to our players, are they coachable? I, I used to, 
to tell coaches at coaches clinic how coachable are you as a coach are you ready to learn are you ready to change especially now you know uh with the mil- mil- how do you say mil- millennials you know the the kids born 2000 and later so uh, that that's what i've learned so far uh, being here in for london so you said something um earlier uh, about wanting to win but wanting to kind of shift that definition of win almost and i was wondering if we could dive into that a little bit more and specifically into your coaching philosophy if you could share that with us and, and some of your core values that would be great yeah for, first of all i think a lot of a lot of people misunderstand you know we talk about player development and individual development and everyone's reaching their fullest potential you know and that's my job to work with player development but i i don't want to be misunderstood winning and building a winning culture is so important because you know we're developing players because they're going to be the best and why do they need to be the best because eventually they're going to be put in an environment where the expectation is we're going to win so just because we we use fancy words as, as development and working with the individual and stuff like that we never take winning out of it you know uh but my point is that i think if you want to be a winning coach especially at the junior level but even in the pro level just looking at our our pro team you know i still think there are pro teams in europe and in sweden that comes in you know and have 30 35 minutes skate and then they go back home a pro team player joel lundquist for example here our captain he's 38 years old he comes in 8:30 in the morning and he leaves 2 o'clock in the afternoon because there are off ice stuff there are video meetings there are individual stuff on ice there are team stuff on ice so i, I think what, what i mean is that if we want to win and we want to win it's not just about having rested players and a really good system i think we need we always start out with a group of players in the beginning but they need to be better in march and april when we move into the playoffs and that's our job as coaching winning games but also developing alongside with that and that's going to make us more competitive moving into to the playoffs if that makes any sense yeah it totally does and what you mentioned here just that you want to have at the end of the season that when you go to the playoffs in march april that you want at this time point that your that your players are in a good shape playing wise that how do you ensure that and how does the path look like from let's say september august when the season starts until the playoffs what 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 do you what do you emphasize the most it's a hard question to answer because you know one of our core values we believe in practice you know you know it, there are no secret drills it's it's just how many hours how many repetitions can we get in uh and we're always chasing can we add more can we add more can we add more uh so, so i'm not sure exactly what we emphasize because it's you know 
we want as much as possible of everything. Uh, and another thing, you know, because, and I, I don't want to sound weird about it, but for some reason, import players coming to Sweden, there are more, okay, we need to rest our legs for tomorrow's game. We don't rest players. We work hard because we know, I, I know for 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 fact that there, there are systems out there that, you know, monitor players that, hey, you, you need to take it easy because you, the players are getting tired. I rather have, or we rather have a little bit, a, a player that are a little bit tired, but we know we put in the hours. We know that we, shit, we really worked hard yesterday on this skills, on this moves, on, on, on this play. We're building confidence. When we practice hard, off ice, on ice, we know as coaches, players know that we have put in the work and that's going to build confidence for us. So I rather have a, a player that are a little bit tired that we really put in the work than I have, have a rested player that have not put in the work, if that's answered the question. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's... Um... I think it's a really interesting perspective. And I, I'm wondering, like, what has had the, the biggest impact on how you guys coach at Falenda? Me personally or, or we as an organization? Um, both. That would be great. I think uh, I really hit a crossroads. It must have been, is it five years ago, this April or six years? I. I had an opportunity to, I went to Tampa with a colleague to, to watch the Frozen Four. And then we headed up to Grand Forks, North Dakota, to watch the U18 World Championships for 10 or 12 days. And at the time, being in Frölunda, surrounded by a lot of really good hockey players, I, you know, I felt that I was in the perfect spot. Everything we did was, you know, exactly what we were supposed to do. And my reference point was, you know, the best players in Frölunda. And Team Sweden didn't have any players on that, the Swedish national team. And I, I remember that the Finnish team had, you know, Puljo Jarvi, Lainet, Eli Tolvan, and Jukki Haru, you know, players that play in NHL today. And spending 10, 12 days there and, and looking at all the U18 players from the US with Kiefer Bellows, Clayton Keller, uh, the Finnish players, you know, the, the Russian team came with their, their players born 99. They were one year younger because there was some stuff going on in Russia at the time. And I was just watching. We don't have a player in this tournament. And uh, those we have aren't even close to be as good as the players are here. Uh, Nico Hirscher from Switzerland was there. He was underaged at the time. And that kind of changed. Okay, we think we do it right back home, but we can't get players to this level. So that kind of raised the bar for me. You know, we need to do it better, harder, more, with more focus. Uh, and we need to switch, change the mindset on, on what we're chasing. We're not chasing to be best in 
in Gothenburg or best in Sweden. We come, we want to come instead of comparing our organization to some of our competition in Sweden. I'm, I want to put every player I have to the best players in the world. And that really made a big, big change on how, how I look at things and especially on, you know, how we, we began to practice after that. So actually raising the bar is something what we talk also a lot here in our school over if we think about going back to the self-determination fear and if we, if we talk about competence, I think that's one of the most important keys in coaching and inside that area we continuously need to challenge our athletes so actually they have the, the, the chance to develop to their fullest potential and overall now you're in the coaching business for quite a while and why are you doing this? What is your intrinsic motivation to coach? Uh... I think it's still because I want to win, but since we aren't winning every day, we can't win championships every day. I really appreciate watching the progress of a player and knowing that I have helped him or her. Uh, I, I get so much back from, you know, And I, you know, again, I'm fortunate enough to work with really, really, really good players. Uh, sometimes, and I know a, a lot of coaches are, are jealous at, at my position, but sometimes I can be jealous at, at coaches at lower levels, maybe not lower age, but lower levels, because I believe if we do it right, we, we get a quicker progress You know, we, we, we're, our players are so close to what they can, can do because they put in hours prior to coming here. But yeah, again, you know, I, the reason why I'm doing that, because I'm selfish, I just selfish. I, I just love watching players getting better and knowing that I've been a part of that. Yeah, so I want to go a little bit deeper into something we've, we've hit on a little bit here early on it's just the, the way that you guys practice at Philander. Can you uh, explain what those practices look like a little bit more and, and just kind of how they're structured? Uh, yeah, it's again, I, I think, you know, uh, we, we talk a lot about, you know, I, I know USA Hockey talks about the fundamentals. We, we call it our ABCs here in Sweden. Uh, I, I, I think if you're 17, 18, 19 years old or 38 uh, as Joel Lundqvist, you still need to work on your fundamentals. You know, Roger Federer, he, he goes out and, you know, he, he makes his back baseline strokes every day. Tiger Woods, he, he hits his seven iron every day. So having a hockey player the age of 22 stop doing skill work, skating work, that just, you know, I don't get it, you know, because in the individual sports, they're always working on the, you know, the fundamental techniques. So, so that's, that's big to us that, you know, it's, yeah, he's really good on skating, but he needs to improve. He's really good on stick handling. They can, he can improve. Uh, something we want to add, and that's, you know, we, we don't do skill work with the stick or, or puck skills because we want them to 
be better with the with the puck it's because we want to build a relationship with the puck so we we get more awareness you know uh we talk a lot about decision making and me personally think you know that hockey is so fast today and and I think that's because we have skating coaches and skill coaches, but we don't have decision-making coaches. And at one side of the coin, I, I think that's good because in our sport, I think we need to coach the players to be able to make their own decisions. Every time I talk about this, I, you know, I compare it to soccer or baseball or basketball or American football. They're slowest sports. You know, it's, it's easy for a coach to get the message out there. Hockey is fast, it's loud, it's quick. It's not easy for a coach to get the message out there. Out there. So even if we talk about we want to learn, we, we want to learn the players to be better decision makers and their environment, we need to put them in to be able to work on that is in the small area games. Uh, and kind of as a coach, take a step backwards, letting them figure stuff out. We, we try to not tell them what they're supposed to do. We want to ask them how they experienced the situation, if they could do it differently, if they had a second opportunity. Uh, if we start telling our players too much, we, I think we kind of lock, lock them down to fewer opportunities, uh, options. Uh, so, so it's, it's hard for me to say, you know, exactly what we work. Of course we work on stuff like every team works on power play, PK, breakouts, entries, you know, D zone play, O zone play. But we, we talk about what do we want our players to really get better at? And that would be decision-making, you know, because they need to be good at the fundamentals and they really need to be good on making decisions because, and if they're going to make good decision, they need to have more information and more information they get by the awareness stuff. So uh, I hope it makes sense, but you know, it's, we, we, we want to, you know, it's, just a decision making thing. That's that's the big thing for me. And that's what we really want to work with our players. I can totally relate to the things you just said, especially the piece of that players they need to develop certain awareness awareness in order to compete at a at the highest level. And overall for me, what I've been referring to it in the in the like recently now is is it is a it's visual scanning because you all the time need to be aware around your surroundings and what what is happening and at the same time we need to think about how often actually play players with the puck and how often do they actually play without the puck and how many decisions do they need to make without the puck overall so i think that's that's a key takeaway for me so far from that episode and from the conversation and when you go out there to coach your players um what are the things that are most emphasized in practice you mentioned here the smaller games that they are huge but inside the coaching what are the things that are most emphasized uh I, I, we, we try to build confidence and we have a saying here in our organization that one is no one so the expectation in every situation in every drill in every game you know if you get the puck the expectation is that you're going to beat him if you're going to beat him with a move skating away from him or passing through him 
but the expectation is you're gonna beat that opponent uh, and you know so we don't you know ship out ship in glass out you know the expectation is to make a play you know uh, so that that's one thing we really emphasize uh, we know that different players see different things I don't think everyone can I, I don't think everyone can get the awareness that players like Nicholas Beckstrom or Connor McDavid and players, but but we think everyone can improve what they have. We talk about do you know do you see five feet, fifteen feet, or thirty feet of dice? So again, to the awareness stuff, you know, we 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 try to put them in a situation where they work on their awareness, getting the uh, the head up, the eyes up, you know, screening the eyes, uh, and you know. Just putting more variables in, so that so it's kind of getting getting harder along along the way. Uh, and again, you know, the, the third thing would be, you know, we we have some really great tape of Jurcinov doing skill puck skill work with Alexi Yashin and Sako Koivu twenty years ago, you know, and. At the time, I think they they were doing puck skills. We kind of stole the what I know they talked about in Belgium soccer a few years ago that they want to build a relationship with the ball. We want to build a relationship with the puck. We want to. The reason why we say that is because we want you to be able to carry the puck without thinking of you having the puck. The puck can't be an opponent for you. So we want to work on the smoothness, the puck skills, being able to carry it with, with total awareness. And that takes time. And sometimes, as I said earlier, before we started the, the, the podcast here, what we have been working on for the last six weeks, you know, it's sometimes the drills we do, I can understand the players think they're boring, but at the same time, we can see that the players that are really dialed in, that are really focused, that are committed and putting heart into it, they're getting a little bit better every day they're doing it. So again, uh, you know, it's it's not the secret. We have no secret drills. I think it's more that we try to sell our idea to the players uh, that depending on what they put into it, they're going to get the expected outcome. So does, does competition play any role in your practice? And, and if so, can you describe how you kind of implement those uh, or just how you implement competition? Uh, competition is natural in our program. We, and, and I, I can, you know, we have so many good players and we want to have so many good players because that creates an practice environment where, you know, when I go on the ice, a normal day with the U20 team out of 20, 22 skaters on the ice, I think 15 plus have been playing for some kind of national team. And sometimes agents, parents think we have too many good players. It's, it's kind of hard to move up in our system. 
And, and of course, in the game situation, sometimes it, it's tough. Like this year, we I have seven defensemen. Everyone would play on a PP1 or PP2 in all our opponents' team. So that's a that's a, a challenge we have. At the same time, that brings out the natural competition in our practice environment. And since we are so strong, you believe in practice that we want to, you know, add hours and hours of practice. It kind of comes natural because they they all all every player knows they're going up up against good players, and they and they need to prove the coaches. They need to prove for management that. Cho- Choose me, choose me, choose me. And how 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 do you get to get, get chosen? You need to be best day out and day in in the practice environment. So for us, it kind of comes natural. And I know there are clubs here in Sweden, and sometimes in games I can kind of agree with them. You know, it's it would be easier for me to to coach a team if I only had one defenseman expecting power play time. But at the same time, to your question. How is he? Does he need to compete the days between games? Do you get better in games or do you get better in practices? Do you get better when you study or do you get better when you're doing the test? So I, that's why we so strongly believe in practice and that we want to build a practice environment with a lot of good players. Uh, and of course, sometimes we fail. Uh, you know, players, you know, dropping out. They they want to leave because it's tough, and they don't think they they get the ice time they 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 expected or they think they should have. But I I don't blame our program. I I think that's more the character of the player. You know, it's because all the good if. If a successful player from our program is the players that move up to our pro team or get drafted or, or play in, in NHL, if that's a successful player in our in, in, in our program, just looking at, at the character and the, the person, they were just, you know, come in every day, work the ass off, go home and come back the next day and repeat. <laughs> so you just mentioned here that You want to have natural competitors in your program. This is something what comes along the program or should be, if I can say, maybe like an outcome of your program. Like what, what, how does a, or what does a natural competitor look like to you? Or what is a natural competitor? I think he want to win everything, you know. First of all, I think, you know, work ethic is one thing, you know. You do your best in every situation, you know. And sometimes you need to compete with yourself. Sometimes you have an opponent. Uh, sometimes you compete against another team. But, you know, you do the best you can with what you got. Uh, but at the same time, it, it's tough. We were talking about it the other day, the coaching staff. Can you, can you teach competitiveness? Uh, I don't know, you know, I, I've been fortunate enough to, you know, coach Rasmus Stalina, Lucas Raymond, you know, two really skilled guys. Uh, but what, you know, stands out for me, just, you know, knowing them, that is the competitiveness. You know, they are just, you know, we have been playing floorball with some pros here in, in November and October, November. 
and you know they want to win everything I, I, I'm not sure how we can coach that if that's is it something that come from inside can we create an environment that you know comp- competition every day kind of you know develop that at the same time you know it's here in Sweden I'm not sure how it is in German but it's sometimes it, it's it's not nice to compete too much if you're 10 years old uh, we don't have tryouts here uh, we don't have you know everyone so I, it, it's a I think it's a really tough question I'm not sure what the answer is uh, I, I I still think maybe if We, I think we can create some kind of, you know, developing competitiveness if we, you know, creating a practice environment where smaller games, keeping track on, on, on the score, having prizes after every practice. If we just have, you know, if we're doing certain drills, always keep, keep track of the score and stuff like that. But yeah, it, it, it's a tough question and I, I'm not sure I have the answer for it. Well, you just mentioned something what got me very excited because you just said that you coached Rasmus Darlene and that you coached um, that you coached Lucas Raymond, who just got drafted recently. And what was that experience like to coach these players and how did they help you to become a better coach? Because I remember, remember <laughs> you said in the Hockey Think Tank podcast with Tofa Scott that uh, these guys are incredibly tough to challenge because they want to get better right away, right now. I think the two things that are similar with those two players that makes me a better coach is, first of all, they they come with, they have a lot of questions. Sometimes, sometimes when I say something, they ask me back if that's the right way. Sometimes they just come and ask how am I supposed to. So they keep me on, on, on my toes because they always want to learn. They always want to learn. They're always looking for more information uh, the other thing is as we just talked about the competitive part they you know having them on the ice playing small area games if they are losing that I need to become a really good leader for the group because they when they were younger they couldn't handle uh, losing Uh, so I think that's the two things that uh, stands out for me, you know, just wanting more information, asking questions, and also that, you know, the natural competitiveness. And that pushes me to, as a coach, I need to lead them. I need to work with them, controlling all their emotions because, you know, saying, you know, they're really good teammates, but how things came out when they're losing wasn't always the best way of communicating when they were younger. So going off of that, you know, you just mentioned being a, a leader in that, in that small area game scenario. And um, can you describe a little bit about what you think or what your role is during a practice? Uh, me personally, I love running the practices. Uh, that sometimes makes me miss stuff going on uh, but again 
in Oregon and say, we're fortunate enough that we were filming every practice. So I, I run the practice. I run the drills. Uh, I blow the whistle. I coach the, I coach the group. My assistant coaches coach the individual players and their behaviors, but I can, I run, uh, run the show. And then afterwards I can go back and watch the practice uh, do some video work and put put together stuff that I want to show the team for the day after. So, and the only downside with being the the guy in charge running the practice is that I lose uh, the opportunity to commute communicate with 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 individual player. I always address the team or the line or the deep pair uh, just being on the ice for the because we want to be efficient so we can have we can't have 19 guys waiting for me communicating with a player uh, and that's the downside I, I wish you know I'm, I'm glad that a lot of my assistant coaches through the years have been been able to move forward and getting you know full-time jobs the downside for me has been you know I've 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 got new assistant coaches every year. The, the upside with that, that keeps me on the toes because they have a lot of questions they want to learn. The downside is that I never been able to hand over uh, to someone else running the practice and me being the guy that can kind of skate around and talk to the individual players. And it, you, if you ask some of my colleagues, they would they would say that that's because I'm a control freak. So I I, I think it goes both ways. I probably could, you know, hand it over to some of my assistants. But so it's it's not there's not the assistant coach. It's just me, you know, being comfortable doing it. So yeah, but I think that also goes a little back into like shared responsibilities. Who is taking over? Uh, which responsibilities and how do you organize overall the practice? I think that's also an important piece. And I think that you, at the end of the day, <laughs> that you will find other ways to spend time with players because in your age group, I guess you are a lot of time around them and you can spend a lot of time with them. So it's a, it's a little bit different setup for me at the moment. It's a little bit challenging because coaching under 14s, under 13s, you don't spend so much time with them and like I kind of can connect to the point sometimes you get so much lost like or not lost you enjoy so much to running the practice that you then at the end of the day you ask yourself how many players I've been connecting today but this is this is something for another conversation and um, overall when you move on towards the week to the weekend when you when you have the when you have the games um, what does a game day environment look like and feel for your team? Uh, we want the team to kind of come in as late as possible. You know, since we play a lot of games Saturdays, Sundays, and we have early, early, you know, we, we're on the ice at seven o'clock three, three times a day during the week. We, we want them to sleep Saturday and Sunday prior to games. Uh, the coaching staff is in early, you know, uh, we have done our pre-scout. We're putting together the, the video we're going to show for the team. Um, we don't want to, we don't, me personally don't like, I want to know how my opponent are playing, but I'm not necessarily showing that for the team because we don't adapt to our opponents. So most of our 
our game, you know, game video is about how we're going to play. And we don't care about the opponent because we're going to master the way we want to play. We don't change our, our philosophy or our system or our principle just because we, we're playing against a good team. Uh, we we want to master our things. So the players come in, you know, two hours before, before the game. We have a short meeting with some video, what we want our focus points are. Uh, sometimes PK meeting separately, sometimes power play meeting separately. But we, we kind of want, want to leave the kids alone uh, and, and let them, you know, focus on, on their preparations. And that's, a, again, it's easier when the U20 coaching for Orlando because they know they're, they're, they're a team, they're, they're, you know, they're so experienced. So they, they, they know what they are supposed to do to come prepare for game time. So we we had um, Tommy Nemo on uh, a few months ago and, and kind of asked a similar question. But how how do you personally prepare for for game days, kind of um, uh, both tactically and also kind of mentally as well? Uh, I, I think it changed for me. It changed when I got kids, you know, uh, because I, I, I then you kind of need to have an on and off switch. You know, I, I can't be the coach Saturday morning when I'm having breakfast with my family. Uh, so that's been a really good thing for me because, you know, I, I was kind of running out of energy bef before we got kids because I was dialed in 24-7. Uh, so, so I, you know, playing home, I just love spending the mornings with, with the family. Uh, we try to be done with, all our preparation actually Friday afternoon before we leave the rink. Still, I still want to come in a couple of hours before the, the players arrive just to make sure, you know, going over everything. Uh, that, that, may, that, that gives me a sense of I'm, I'm prepared, you know, just being at the rink, doing hours, even if I did it the day before. Uh, but then, you know, after, after, you know, addressing the team, maybe talk to some individual players that, you know, we want, you know, different, different players, different games, but we need to, we, we know we need to give them some attention because they're going to play a lot of minutes or if they're not going to play as much that, as they want, we, we would just want to reach out to them bef before the game starts. And then, you know, when they're preparing, I, I'm normally out running for 45 minutes just to clear my head. Uh, I, I'm not, I can't sit in a coach room for almost two hours waiting for the puck to drop. You know, I, I need to get out there uh, because I know, I, I'm telling you, it, it's you 20, you know, I, I, the energy I'm, I'm, I'm losing for two hours during the game. It's, it's a lot. And, and I know we have a lot of job to do since we're playing Saturday and Sunday. It's a lot of job to do between the games. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, it's not a lot to do before a game. It's, it's, much, it's more doing after the game, actually. So when you just said that, like, during the game, you, how do you, like, I don't want to say prepare, but kind of your routine that, when the players are preparing you going for a run so you're so you're uh, getting some some 
so you're getting some running done as well and you feel you feel mentally refreshed overall before the puck drops and when when once the game starts how do you see your role on a game day and how do you also coach on the game day because i think that's something uh very important in our coaching world how do we coach our players during the game as well uh we coaching for us is not putting players on the ice coaching for us is creating a dialogue between the player if there's something some feedback for us is just okay really good performance there on moving the puck or really good shot or really good back check I, i think it's important that the players hear that on the bench and we can always get better on giving them uh, encouragement uh And and then is also sometimes you, you want to start a dialogue with a player with something you me as a coach aren't satisfied with or I want it to be executed in a different way. But again, I'm we can't be I don't want to be the guy telling them what to do. So if we see something on dice, okay, that, that was a bad, bad pass or you know we defended badly we always you know again as i said earlier you know ask the players what what did you experience on the ice at that situation because i see something but i have no idea what they're seeing or what they're feeling on the ice so before i start you know telling them too much of what i think i want to get the information from them Uh, and the only time we really go after our players and, and raise our voices is, you know, work ethic. If it's a, if you don't put the, the effort in, in a back check, or if, you know, avoid a puck, in, a puck instead of trying to block it and stuff like that effort, effort is, you know, that, you know, we go after players if they don't have the effort, but it, Otherwise, from that, that on the bench, we we want to give them a you know a hand on the shoulder if they're doing something well. If it's something we want to change, we want to discuss them with them. Uh, me personally, still can be a lot better. I always say I'm really good on on, on talking to the forest. I'm really bad on on speaking with the with the trees. So I, I'm still as a coach need to improve the way I, I create a communication or a dialogue one-on-one -on -one with the player. For me, it's, it's much easier in the in between periods. We, we show some video on, on what we want to, to change or, or uh, do better. Uh, so, yeah. That, We, we, we don't just stay on the bench and watch the game you know it's we, we need to ch we need can every, every next shift needs to be better next shift needs to be better for each line for each d pair and it's our job to give the players the the opportunity to perform better but it's not us telling them it's a, you know creating that communication that dialogue and, and make them aware so we are on the same uh you know the same level yeah so we know we only have a, a couple more minutes here but we have a, a couple more questions for you if you don't mind um we talked to uh Mikhail Swim as, as Rick mentioned earlier and he 
you described this phrase of kind of, uh, of encouraging the players to try to, to open the window, I believe is what it was, uh, and talking about taking risks during games. And how do you encourage your players to, to seek opportunity and to take risks during the games? Again, as I said earlier, the expectation is to win your one-on-one battle. If you skate around it, pass through it, or just make a really you know nice move, it, it's up to you. Uh, and, and, and we use the term, the players need to be aware. They need to see, is the window open or closed? Uh, sometimes, you know, players can try to open the window. Uh, of course, they need to be, you know, they can't be, in, in lack of better words, stupid. And, you know, we're up one nothing, one minute left, third period. You're coming down the ice one-on-one then you need to be able to make a smart play, skate it down deep, you know. But if, you know, if it's a, you know, in the middle of the first, second, early in the third, you know, we want the players to try, you know. It's, we don't, we don't feedback, we don't coach the result of a performance. We try to coach the, the decision or the execution of it. I think there are too many coaches that, oh man, you can't give, you can't turn over the puck on the blue line. I think everyone knows that, you know? So we don't coach the result turning out over the puck. We ask the player, okay, what happened there? Uh, yeah, turn the puck. Yeah, don't, don't think about that. But if you get in the same situation again, how are you going to beat that opponent? Can you do... Can you skate differently? Can you carry the puck differently? What op- options did you have when you made the decision to, to do what you did? So that's how we want to try to coach them instead of just, you know, because again, you know, everyone knows, everyone knows they, they, they can't turn the puck over. So they don't want to hear that. Um, and again, we're not, you know, you're not allowed to do whatever you want at any time, you know, I I I I I try to not use the word play simple, but sometimes you need to play smart. But again, we need to teach the players what is smart in different situations. And they need to be able to manage the clock, manage the score. Especially my U20 players, because they're so close to making it to the pro team. Well, there are just so many thoughts running through my mind and I uh, wish we would have a little bit more time here, but I know we know that you need to get going. So far, it has been a very enjoyable conversation with you. And as a last question is that, what's your final message to our listeners about coaching? Get to know as many as you can. You know, you teach 50% of the time, you get better 50% of the time. And it's up to you to get better. And the nice, nice thing with trying to get better, you're building relationship with other coaches from other countries, from other sports, from other clubs. And that's going to open up opportunities down the road. Uh, so uh, yeah. And take pride in your practice environment. You know, it's you, you're getting better when you practice kids get why do kids get so good on on playing playstation 
they play a lot. So if we're going to want to be better as players, as a team, practice and practice on what you want to be better at. Uh, and I think it's better to be 100% on a few things than 80% on a lot of things. Uh, so don't try to do everything as a coach or with your team. Find out your DNA, your philosophy as a coach, as a team, and go all in with that. Yeah, I think that's a, a great final message, and there's a, a lot to take away from today's conversation. So, Tobias, thank you for, for being here with us today and taking the time out of your busy schedule. Um, I think it was fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. What a conversation we just had with Tobias. And, you know, I think we said it at the beginning, but uh, just an outstanding episode and, and really shows kind of the, the level of thinking that he is on and then a really great chat and a really great chance to get to know the Ferlunda uh, way a little bit better. And so one more time, just big thanks to him for, for joining us and sharing those uh, details and insights with us. So, you know, the, the first thing I want to kick off here with is there's a, there's a lot of different ways we can go because there's a lot to unpack from this episode. But I want to start with something he, he said right at the beginning of the episode, about eight minutes in. He, he said that coaches are, are like professors. You know, they, they coach for 50% of their time, but the other 50%, they need to be researching and, and getting better and learning new things that they can be implementing to better help their players. I think that was um, an analogy I'm really going to steal. And it, it really connects well with the term we've heard on our show before, this idea of a, a pracademic, you know, someone that's academic, but also working in a practical way. And we've had a few of those on our show as well. I think it's, um, they go, they go hand in hand there. And, you know, um, I, I think it was just a really nice way to put it and a really nice way to frame that need to continuously learn and to continue, continuously grow as a coach, which is, I think, a very repetitive theme on our show. Um, you know, the other thing I want to talk to, talk to you, Rick, here right off the bat is this, this thing that he said, I'm um, kind of right before that and, and right after that about, about winning. You know, he said he still wants to win, but the way I want to win is to be the best at developing players to the fullest potential that they have. And I think that he, he highlighted that quickly after that. It, it, he doesn't want to be confused with, you know, taking winning out of hockey or taking winning out of sports because that's not what he wants. He wants that because it's so important. Winning should never be taken out of it. But if you want to win, it's not just about your systems that you run. It's about how your players develop. And you can't, you know, just rely on systems without developing your players as well. And I think that that ties in really well with what he said, that he'd rather have a little bit tired players going into a game day, knowing that they put in the work and the effort during the week and, you know, not doing like a kind of an easy pregame skate, but just having a practice and developing your players. And then, you know, believing in that going into that next the game that next day. I think that was a, a really key takeaway that, you know, it's, it's worth that trade-off to develop your players. The point you just mentioned connects very well with one of my key takeaways from the conversation we had with Tobias today. It's that because 
we speak, we spoke so much today with him about the practice environment they strive to create. And he has been highlighting several times is that they believe in practice and that there's no secrets in any drills or in any content. And I think that's something very critical to consider because in my mind, there's no, the biggest secret is to have no secret. It's all about exchanging, discussing and sharing idea. I think that's a huge motivation for us. Also, why are we doing this? Because we want to provide valuable contents for everyone who feels connected with coaching overall. And another key point or key takeaway for myself from that conversation is too, is that we play as coaches, we play very often with the term that players need to be coachable, but how much do we actually invest ourselves that we become coachable, uh, that we become coachable coaches, that how much do we actually invest in our education? Because it, it goes totally back to that. We, we always, as I just mentioned here, we always want our players to be coachable, but how much do we actually invest in the environment that players becoming coachable? How much actually we spend time with them to increase their intrinsic motivation? I think that goes totally back to the self-determination theory. One more time, I think we have been highlighting it as several times on the show, but I think it's the most critical thing to consider in terms of building the intrinsic motivation of our athletes. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's, that's huge, right? And if you don't, um, I think that's, that starts with you being coachable, right? And it starts with with you willing to listen to your players and learn from them. And it takes me back to that conversation we had with, um, I believe it was Topher who, who mentioned the, the surveys that he does, you know, and how do the, the kids learn? And, and, and then Travis's surveys as well, talking to the players and figuring out like, hey, how can we do better for you? And, and I, I think those, those are two good examples of coaches being coachable. But then it, it goes into today's conversation with Tobias about, you know, how we, we asked him about the elite players that he's had and, you know, um, how they helped him be better. And, you know, being able to learn from those experiences that you have coaching players is, is really important, you know, and taking pieces away about how individuals learn and, and pieces, you know, from this individual may apply to this individual you have a couple years later. You know, of course, they're still individuals, but you know, they may have some similar characteristics and some similar things that you can, you can try. And I think they, they pushed him, you know, those elite players that he had, um, they pushed him, they asked him questions, they wanted more information. And I think that that really helps you if you really let your players push you in a, in a, in a you know, positive challenge kind of way, that helps you become a better coach. And that's a good example of a, a coachable coach. And I think that's a, a really good point you make, Rick. And I, I think it's something that um, I think we should all strive to be is a, a kind of coachable coach. And, and, and I like that term. I've said it now like five times, but it's, it's a good term and I like it. Um, and then, you know, I, I, another key takeaway for me is, is when we were talking about the kind of a uh, practice design that they have at Finland and what they emphasize in practice. And it was, um, it was really interesting. He said that, you know, we have skating coaches and skills coaches, but, but no decision-making coaches. And that, that might be a good thing, right? We don't need to, to strictly teach our players how to make decisions for themselves. We need to provide them, you know, environments like smaller games or game like drills or whatever that allows them to learn that skill for themselves. And, and of course we can ask questions, we can make inquiries and, and kind of say like, Hey, what did you see here? Why'd you make that decision and get them thinking about it? I think that's one way we can coach that, but you know, it's, it's good that we have no decision-making coaches and it'll be interesting to see 
uh, when in the future someone decides to to become a decision making coach and, and how much they charge for their, their private lessons. But that's a that's another story. Um, but it's it's a really interesting way that they practice in Fernando. You know, lots of games, lots of open environments where the players have to make decisions. And I think it's it's really I think it was um fifty percent is what Mikhail Strom said in that in that conversation we had with him. But it's it's a lot and um it's it's really good for the players. And I think uh the other thing here with the practice is that that emphasis on confidence and, and just the players believing in their ability to to beat that that one player. Um how is how Tobias put it, one is no one. You know, you're you're expected to to beat one player and win your one on one battle. And so it creates this environment where players want to try different things to beat them. You know, they want to be competitive. They want to get around them. So they're going to try different moves. You know, they're not going to just chip it past them. They're going to try to beat him and and really win that one-on-one battle. I think that was a a really interesting piece. Yeah, well, I think that's something what I'm very, like, curious about, like, in the coaching philosophy and in the development pathway is just that they want to have this competitiveness piece. They want that it is something natural. And we asked him in our conversation today, like, how do we actually develop natural competitors? And he said, it's, it's a really tough question. I think that's, that's something really to think about. And it's not, not easy to answer. I also feel the same way that, but I think he, he made good points that what can we do? Actually, we need to try to teach them that they need to compete them against themselves in the gym, on the ice that they need to put in the work. And it goes totally back to that. They actually, they believe so much in practice. That's, that's all, all, all they do. And I think the next point he said is there is that what we can do is also we can establish reward system. And I'm, I'm a huge believer in reward system. You can have reward systems in any, anything. You can have result, reward systems for, for offense. You can reward, you can have reward system for defense and you don't have to only reward the, the goal scoring. You can, you can implement so many different things in practice and it totally just depends on what do you want to practice? And I think that also goes to the, back to the conversation uh, we had with Ken Martel about skill development. And I think, as he has been saying, is what what does the game ask us, our players, to do? And I think these kind of cons- like depending on what what the game asks us to do, these kind of constraints we throw inside the in, inside the game. And I think, as you said as well, like there's there's a reason why players from Folunda are that good, and so many have been drafted and playing over all over the world. First of all, they are super competitive uh, it's natural in them and secondly as you said as well they, they they get taught to ask a lot of questions and that's okay to ask questions and i think that's like the examples we we talked about in the conversation today with him about lucas rem and rasmus darlin uh, i mean you said it as well here but i'm i'm repeating it here again because it's just so valuable and so important to consider it's just that that really that being hungry every day to learn and really being hungry to get new information all the time, asking questions. And I, I think that's, that's just so important. I think we really need to encourage this every day that our players build a self-confidence to ask questions because at some point it, it will help them a lot in their development pathway. And overall, I think just as he has been saying overall is that what they actually try to do is that they want to they want to sell their ideas to the players i think that's that's also something very um, important that like that's well as as you have been saying i i go i'm going back to that to that analogy here like it's 50% of coaching and it's 50% of research but 
it, it's it goes back to the to the well-known quote that the art the art and science of coaching and the science is definitely the 50 percent of research and the uh, the artist that like how do you actually sell your ideas to the players with what kind of strategies are you coming up to to make them better and what i'm just enjoying so much about this conversation is that how much they actually emphasize individual growth and in every every player every day and i think he has been mentioning it in our episode as well is that they want to raise the bar and i think it also goes back to the conversation we just had with uh, oliver david is that you don't want to be the same person tomorrow you want to get better every day with everything what you got with your heart with your mindset you improve a lot of different areas and another key takeaway for me is that what i enjoyed so much about their club philosophy is that that they actually want to to build a relationship with the puck that they are that they are able to to that they have visual scanning on the eyes that they always are aware of what is happening around and what what am i going to do when i have the puck what am i going to when i do not have the puck and i think that's this this awareness piece, visual scanning, you can refer you refer how it to however you want. It's just such a crucial part in game sense, and we really need to develop this such from a young age on. Because I think technical skills you can always work on technical skills, but if you do not develop game sets game sense from the beginning, it's going to be very tough for some of the players. Because if I think about myself, that we we in our practice when I was playing, we did not have so many smaller games, so really like. The piece of game sense and really learning about games that just came from me when I when I came here to study in Finland. Yeah, for sure. And I just want to touch on something I've seen on on um, social media the last few days is uh, Pavel Barb Barber, I think is uh, the the name of the guy, stick handling through cones and stuff on a on a treadmill. Uh, the cones are coming at him on a treadmill, and um, you know that that to me is is not building a relationship with the puck. You know, that's that's stick handling. That's that's, you know, it, it just looks good, but it's not true skills, you know? And I think we, we say it in that same episode you mentioned with Ken, but it's like skills are, are what you can do in the game. Once you can do it in a game environment, it's a skill. And I think that's a, a really important difference. And, and I, I just, I laugh every time I see that video and, and I, part of me kind of feels bad too, because it's sending the, the wrong message about what, what skill development really is and what, what you need to do to actually become a better sick handler, I think. Um, but it's, uh, that's a whole nother conversation as well. So I think the, the final piece for me is um, just kind of his, his final message is, is just taking pride in your, your practice environment that you create. I think that's a, a really important piece that a, a lot of coaches, you know, they, they feel good about their practice environment. Sure. But, but really take pride in it, really believe in what you're doing and really, really, be able to, to kind of stand on the research you've done and, and, and the implementation you're doing. And of course, you know, it's not going to be perfect. You can learn from it every day, but, but just take pride in that environment that you create for your players. And, and I think for me, the, the way that I would take pride in that is, is exactly that, you know, making sure it's continuously better for my players, you know, making sure it's, you know, the, I don't want to be the same person as I was yesterday, as Oliver David said in our other episode today, but on the other hand, I don't want the environment my players are in to be the same yesterday. I want it to be better. And I think that's, uh, that's something to take pride in for sure. Yeah, definitely because the, the pride piece is, is, is so important because if you do not take pride in your practice environment and if, you, if you're not capable of, as we have been discussing here as well, if you're not capable of being a coachable coach, how do you actually can 
deliver the best possible learning experience for our players and how do you can actually help them to to grow from every day and from and, and every practice and I mean like it doesn't matter if you coach under 14s under 16s under 15s under 18s like or under 10s like every 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 day every player has the capability to learn something and my my two final key takeaways here is that I just want to mention one more time yeah, I think he said it right in the beginning is that overall is it is not what you know it is um, who you know I think it's like it's something very very important to consider like because it's it's all about yes it's all about who you know but it's about how do you actually get the people know and I think that's uh, very important because it's it's all about just getting connected to them and how do you get connected to them it's, it's because you need to reach out to them you need to put yourself out there you need to Again, it goes back to that curiosity piece. You need to be curious. How am I going to better? What am I? What What can I learn from this guy? What What can I take away from this conversation? What can I take away from this practice? What can I take away from this coach? Or what can I take away from this practitioner or researcher? I think that's 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 so important. Just just getting connected to each other. And please, anyone else uh, who is listening to that, don't hesitate to reach out to us as well. We are we are looking forward to connect with everyone who wants to. Yeah, so I think that's a, a great place to end and, and ties right into our outro very nicely. So again, two two really good episodes today. Check out Oliver Davids if you if you stop by here first and and make sure you um, get out your notebook because I think these are two episodes that there's a lot to unpack from. Um, and and two, if it's not clear enough from our two very long outros today, but um, there's a there's a lot to talk about with these ones today. So. We wish everyone uh, a happy holidays and we will see everyone next week, but don't forget to connect with the show on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the coaches road and check out our new website, thecoachesroad.com, as well as our full drive with all of the resources recommended from our guests throughout the history of the show. Again, thanks for listening and go check out the episode with Oliver David. Thanks. Mm-hmm.